Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and we are bringing it back to ye old Harvesting Nature studio for the first time in the new year. By studio, I really mean just my living room. But nonetheless, uh, it doesn't make the show any less or more entertaining based on our locale. Uh, We have been traveling quite a bit over the past few months, and we had the holiday season in which we. Try to take off some time and enjoy it with family and friends, which we did. So now we're back here to do some great podcasting. And tonight, special episode, as always, hot off the press or the radio waves. Uh, we're going to talk about cooking failures uh, and mostly how to avoid them. So with that, I do want to take a quick moment to update uh, you on kind of what I've been doing, and then I'm going to let everyone here tonight give you a quick update and introduce themselves as to what they're doing as well. So I've uh, been doing a bit of hunting and fishing up in Oklahoma. Um, just got back here a couple days ago, spent probably about a week or more up there. I actually got to hang out with Emily and Ryan, who are joining us tonight. And uh, woo woo. and we made some delicious food of which part of those videos i think are coming out soon and some are due to come out i don't know it it depends on when this releases (laughs) that's right that's also true yeah so um 
But either way, um, still got a little bit planned for this new year, so we'll see how it goes. Hunting season's not quite over yet in Florida, so trying to to move around and, and be able to do some more stuff. So you guys have some uh, – do a quick intro and, and give us some updates on what's going on in your neck of the woods. Well, I'm Emily. And I'm Ryan. And we are The Way We Hunt. You and guys have practiced your- that before, huh? This <laughs> <laughs> our first intro video on YouTube, and it just it works. It just flows. No, if you go to our YouTube channel, the way we hunt, and you you have to watch like the outtakes because it took us a billion years to get our intro video done, and so yeah. Anyway, um, forgot what the question was. Yep. Uh, just some updates on what's going on. Oh, oh uh, it's probably not going to be able to go to Canada. We uh, bought another bear trip to go up there, and rumor is that the border is going to stay closed. So that's mm. pretty disappointing because that was going to be our big hunt in June was to go up there during their spring bear season, which hopefully we'll be able to roll over to 2022. Yeah, we, have, we actually have a pretty big crew going. Uh, six of us um, lined up. And really good price is the reason we jumped in on it, um, just because of uh, the Rona that's going around. Um, they were hurting, obviously, for clients and so, or you know, guests. So they they had a really good price. We all jumped in on it, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. Could fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But if not, we'll roll it over. Actually, speaking of bear, I just put in for my Oregon bear tags for drawing. So. Nice. Which state? Yeah. Oregon. Oregon. Awesome. Oregon. Yeah, because uh, both Ben and uh, Colin live out there, so we plan to do like a, a nice little group hunt out there. Uh, Thanks for the invite. Sorry, I mean <laughs> the, the drawing's still open. If you guys want to go, we were just talking about it. Oh well, no, no. You now you feel pressured. So no, no, no. no I feel bad now that I didn't invite you. <laughs> Um, how long you you were talking about, uh, hunting season, how long is the hunting season open down there in Florida for? Uh, just so like, I think the, the last of the, so it's, it's broken up into three zones for like general gun. So most everything ends the end of January roughly. And then some things spill over into February, but by the end of February, everything's middle to end of February. Everything's kind of wrapping up and then spring Turkey kicks off in like, March, April timeframe. So it's like you really only have like a, a little bit of downtime and then you head right into spring Turkey, which runs super late in my opinion, but, um, it's good for us last year because we came to Florida and Osceola hunt hunted. Thanks. For, thanks for the invite. You <laughs> yeah. we weren't important in our lives at that time. <laughs> wow. Fair. Um, now ours ends what this weekend tomorrow next day fifteenth uh, fifteenth so well we, I mean we still have waterfowl but our our fall turkey and all of our big game mammal species is over the fifteenth okay so we're still kind of quasi hunting and quasi prepping for food plots and stuff next year we we stuck a protein feeder down on one of our spots got it filled. Um, and our deer are like, what is that? Yeah, deer have not <laughs> been impressed. We've got a cuddy back camera on it, cell camera, 
um, that third coast thermal sent us and we're getting some really funny pictures. They're just staring at this giant protein feeder over in the corner. Like that wasn't here. Like <laughs> that was fantastic, but I don't, but this corn, I know is I'm, safe. I'm waiting for the raccoons to like take their opportunity. Yeah. And then you're going to get like super jacked raccoons cause they're eating all the protein. Oh yeah, definitely. We got some Boone and Crockett yeah. raccoons down there. <laughs> yeah. We, we need to do some raccoon eradication. Speaking of Boone and Crockett, and you got, we were talking about alligators. Did you know that uh, Boone and Crockett doesn't score alligators? Really? Yeah, because they don't, they don't consider it hunting. They consider it like catching. Interesting. I disagree. Which, <laughs> it's, it's hard. I guess it really depends on which. I wouldn't have disagreed it. until I didn't catch one the first time. <laughs> it was definitely a hunt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not. I don't know. I think maybe those guys need to try it out. Like Hope and Young consider it. Do they? I don't, I don't know. Probably not if Boone and Crockett doesn't. Yeah, I think they kind of set the standard. Right. Hmm. So we do Cy Curtis in Oklahoma with Boone and Crockett. Boone and Crockett. Uh, but Cy Curtis, he was a biologist in Oklahoma. And then once he passed, they did a whole scoring system. So if you kill something in Oklahoma, you get scored Cy Curtis and then you can go on to, you know, the Boone and Crockett scoring two-week course and become a Boone and Crockett Pope and Young scorer. But uh, a lot of people are Cy Curtis scorers in Oklahoma because of that. I think it's a cool thing. I think I'm, I'm, I may go just do the school or the two-week course. Like once I move back into a place where it's like not just little Florida Keys deer and people can actually hunt them legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I like to see the different deer, so it could be interesting. Yeah, the two-week course is, like, very in-depth, and, of course, you score everything. I mean, bighorn sheep, bears. But not alligators. But not alligators. That's a bummer. I didn't know that. That's something, uh, hashtag the more you know. Yeah, I heard that on on a media podcast. They were talking with the guys from uh, Boone and Crockett, and they were like, we, we do everything but alligators. And then he was like, wait a minute, why? And he kind of went into depth and I was like, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, interesting. But, um, so let's talk a little bit briefly, um, about a couple of the films that we did, uh, while I was visiting you guys. So we did alligator salad. Fantastic. We actually, when you say <laughs> alligator salad, it does. It does. I, I could think of like, I just picture spinach right. and alligator. Or like but, a cob salad with alligator on it or something. I don't know. Like, mm. But we did something much better. And I'll let you two explain it because you could probably do it much more eloquently than I can. Even though I was I there I don't know. Too. It was a thousand percent better than just like a cob salad with alligator. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It was uh, super refreshing. I thought way light. Is <clears throat> so super light. Like that. And even the next day when it was like really really cold in the fridge it like the crunch of the apples that were in it and everything was just like so great well we probably need to explain what was in it go oh (laughs) (laughs) so we sous vide the alligator for three hours at what 134 yes 134 degrees for three hours um and then we brought justin along to do all the work and chopped up Everything. Chopped <laughs> okay. all the ingredients, which ended up being celery, apples, obviously alligator. Um, then we roasted walnuts. There was was it cumin or curry? It was cumin. Curry. Curry. curry? curry. Oh, okay. So it was curry, 
um, some other spices mixed into it. Oh, what else was in the salad? I don't have it pulled up right now. But apples, walnuts, celery. Uh, yeah, it was very crunchy. Oh, and then of course mayo and mustard, honey mustard. No, it wasn't. Mm. Was it honey mustard? Mm, Dijon, maybe. Dijon mustard. Yes. Yeah. So if you go to the way we hunt, we have the video uploaded and it has the description below with all the ingredients in it. But it was a very light, like mayonnaise based with you know the apple, celery, roasted walnuts, alligator in it. And it was, I'm not, oh, and it had chives and I'm not a big fan of uh, mayonnaise. Like I'll eat mayonnaise in like a tuna salad or tuna sandwich, Mm -hmm. but I hate mayonnaise on everything else. So when I saw this, I was like, and I'm a pretty good judge of reading recipes and knowing whether I'm going to like it or not. And I saw this and I was like, this is going to be nasty, but we're going to make it because it's definitely something different than just fried alligator. And we like to do stuff outside the box. So I I think in retrospect too, I really enjoyed it plain as is. But you know what I was thinking would be really good is in like a wrap. Oh, yeah. It would yes. be a really good salad in a wrap. Well, oh. I made it. You know, I, I'm sometimes we're the same person, you and I, and tacos and, and burritos <laughs> are at the top of the list. And anything I can put in them. Um, I mean, a wrap is really just a cold burrito, anyway. Cold burrito. If you take, <laughs> if, if you make a burrito and then put it in the fridge, you turn it into a wrap. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the next day burrito. Okay, so Ryan pulled it up. It was alligator, uh, mayo, Dijon mustard, curry, zest of a lemon, Ooh, cumin, that that one. walnuts, apple, celery, scallions. Yep. Yep. And uh, as always, all the. The links. So we've changed up the formatting a bit of the way that I'm doing the the show notes. So before I'd kind of go bullet by bullet, kind of what we talked about, but um, I'm getting lazy, so I'm just giving you a description of kind of what we're talking about in the episode, and then I'm gonna give you the important links, which will take you to the pages where you can read more in depth about it. But uh, listen to the episode. Don't just read the show notes. But either way, <laughs> yeah, you're see, and you're gonna see your pretty kids. Yep, my kids are there too in the video, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it's really great. And what's what's interesting, you know, just you know, back to our sous vide salesman role because it's funny how we talked sous-vide. about sous vide. Yeah, we talked about our, our sous vide like so much just because we got it for Christmas and we've used it probably every day since. Um, that, I made dog food today. She did make dog food today. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, I had some uh, uh, wild game. They had sat in the icebox too long. And I had run out of chicken for the dog. So I just sous vide some wild game that was probably not acceptable for human consumption, but okay for the dog. Taco Bell meat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, you know, that tail that we got, that was the outer tail, too. That that wasn't even like a jelly roll. That wasn't even a tenderloin of the tail. I mean, that was just a piece of, I don't know which part of the tail. I mean, I don't know what section of the tail, but it was just outer tail meat. It was was pretty tender, yeah. Yeah, very tender. Super, super good flavor and uh, definitely making that one again. I, I mean, besides the filming that took obviously a long time to do because it always does, but that's really a fairly quick recipe once once you get it out of the... Yeah, chopping the, the ingredients is literally the longest part because once you throw the alligator in the sous vide, I mean, it's three hours, but it's really not that long for slow cooking something. And then, Justin, you came up with a recipe on the way up here to see us out of some dove breasts. Yep. So the D 
the famed three ingredient miniature Dove Wellingtons. And people are going to like blow a gasket at that. But <laughs> yeah, so um, basically some good old comfort food when it boils down to. And I mean, if you've had beef Wellington or venison Wellington or all these other things, it's a very classic, um, very, hmm, what's a good descriptor for it? A very classic yet. It's all comfort food, really. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just bread and com- and com- around meat. Yeah. Encompassing yeah. meat. So with with a Wellington, you you can get very very fancy. So you can do like wrap the meat in prosciutto and mix in truffles and like mushrooms and this, all this other stuff. And we we took all that and we just tossed it out. <laughs> and we, st- <laughs> and we still need you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Dove are amazing, and most commonly people make Dove poppers. But we wanted to do something different, which kind of spawned this. And I was like, what if we take the little dove breasts and we coat them in uh, like a stone ground mustard, or you could even use like a German mustard or anything. And then we take croissant dough because who doesn't love croissants? And we, we form a little uh, layer of croissant dough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Make a little neat dove breast package out of, uh, out of croissant dough and then throw it on the, throw it on the smoker and let it cook or the oven, whichever one you have handy. But um, I was super impressed with it. Oh, no, it was great. It was, and ever since then, like I I, I was telling you earlier offline, I ate the last two this evening. I was just like, well, there's two left, and those are going away. And they reheated fantastically. Yeah. Stuck a little good in there with them and just try that out. and And I'm a lazy cooker, so I loved it. Like, it was, like, perfect. You got three ingredients. It's super quick. And because I usually wait until the last minute and I'm like, I'm hungry mm-hmm. right now. So I should have been making something like an hour ago. So so my my vision for that came um, from a camping trip, which I'm not going to get into because I've talked <laughs> about it before. But I, I think it's cool because it's a good basic. The three ingredient miniature Dove Wellington, that's a mouthful, is a springboard for something fancier. So if you wanted to, you know, put other things inside of it, uh, you can good luck trying to wrap the little pastry around the dove breast. Cause that took some guys time. The we actually that. might need to expand the, yeah. Take the whole well, square. So I, I had or a thought. Just I had a, biscuits. yeah, I, I thought about that. And then I was like, or instead of, cause we use the perforated lines on the, on the mm-hmm. croissant dough, but instead we could like fold it over and roll it out flat again and cut little squares, which would be better. Yeah. To, to like better fit the dove breast. So there's a little bit of our self critique, I think. And then I was in, I was in the store after we did that. And I was just happened to just look at the biscuits and the Hawaiian sweet roll gods have made mm-hmm. croissant Hawaiian croissant? Hawaiian sweet roll croissant dough. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Game changer. <laughs> that might have to happen too, just because. Well, That's crazy. You know what I heard? You know what I heard the other day along those lines? Hawaiian sweet rolls. Somebody is suing um, the Hawaiian sweet roll company over the name, saying that they're not really Hawaiian rolls. And I, I don't want to get into it. I just thought it was like 
super. Uh, I'm going to be so disappointed <laughs> if this Hawaiian sweet roll factory goes down. Oh, I don't of- think it would go down. It'd just be like, we're sweet rolls. But- <laughs> well, just as long as everything stays the same taste wise. That's all I care about. True. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Not a Hawaiian person to know whether or not is part of the cuisine. So there we go. Um, no, but it's fantastic. So as we move forward, um, I will. As we've been trying to keep true to, uh, we've been trying to read reviews that we've received. So five star reviews that we receive will give you the opportunity to win a hat and so that's a hat any hat off of our website so you can go take a peek there and and look in the store and see those variety of hats but if you leave a five-star review and you leave a written comment and that written comment gets selected and read over the air just like i'm about to do then you will get a shout out and we'll ask you to email us and with your address and we'll send you the send you the Hat, a hat of your choice. So I'll read this, and this one I really like. It says, I'm not sure what the science is behind it, but somehow the deep reverb of his voice also stimulates my taste buds. Wonderful listen, 10 out of 10. And that's from Grant <laughs> Grant Heaven on CastBox. So, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Um I don't know. That just kind of like takes that, that kind of comment. I mean, it's not the first time I've read this, but. Uh, <laughs> Did you get it like crocheted to put above your bed at night so that you can read it in the morning? No, but I am now. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. It explains why I'm always hungry because I have to listen to the deep reverb of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Grant. Write in, uh, email what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. Send us your address and we will send you a hat of your choice. Let us know which one you want to. Um, all I right. Can they are fantastic. Yep. You got the camo hat too. I have I that one. It's, it's actually, it's growing, um, it's growing upward in the, the ranking of hats that I have at the house. Yours is up there now too. Sweet. Yeah. You guys have a sweet, it's like a leather logo patch, the way we hunt. And then it's with like Cryptek, is it Crypt, Cryptek? Cryptek, yep. Cryptek camouflage. The brown one matches my my hunting pack. So I'll probably wear that one. Yeah, we have those. And then we have the uh, the flat bill, what's it called? Trucker hat? Yep. Trucker, well, it's, yeah. not a, it's not necessarily a trucker hat. Yeah, I, think it's, I like the styles. Like the baseball style yeah. cap. Yeah. Got white, got black, yep. Gray. The, yeah, the gray actually turned out really sharp looking. Yeah, I was surprised. It was a nice one. I think gray and brown like that always look well together. Yes. Mm-hmm. But to get one of those hats, you just uh, reach out to Ryan and Emily on, on the Way We Hunt, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You could probably send them a message, email. Um, right. Storefront will be coming very soon. Yep. So... Yeah. Outside of that, uh, we got the Adventures for Food podcast, which uh, we're continuing to push along with. And Corey has been working diligently at recording some of those new episodes, which they will be releasing very soon. So look for those probably every other Sunday. We'll stick with what we have on that. And that's just a a short version of some adventures from our field staff writers as they are out and about doing fun stuff in pursuit of food. So I think... 
I did have one bit of news that I wanted to talk about, but we've already been running for like 20 minutes because we're really good at chit-chatting. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about two articles that um, that that we've written. Actually, I wrote one, and it's really just kind of a summary um, on some news that came out of Utah, uh, where Utah passed, this is back in November, they passed uh, the constitutional right to hunt and fish, which I think was pretty cool. Um, not all states in the, in the, the United States have the constitutional right to hunt and fish. And you may even be wondering what that even is. Um, let's see here. Um, I don't know. I was trying to look at the map here. I think we have a map in the article too, which shows you all the states. Yeah. Yep. There's, yeah, there's several states. Oklahoma is a state that's a constitutional hunt, hunt and fish. I don't know about Florida. I didn't look. Florida is not. Uh, surprisingly, Florida is not. There's a big chunk in the center of the country, like South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri, which I was really surprised. In both Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona, I was really surprised too. Hmm. So, um, Missouri is not a constitutional state? Nope. Nope. So, um, did you know though that that the oldest state to have a constitutional right is Vermont, dating back to 1777? That surprises me. Yeah, um, is Vermont, one of those states that you can like only hunt, or you can't hunt on Sunday, kind of like Pennsylvania. And- you know, I don't know about Vermont. I know that some places have the you know like the blue laws and stuff like Pennsylvania, but I'm not sure um, if Vermont is one of those states. But I just, I mean, it's pretty wild. Um, the whole idea of it basically is that once they enact it, and it takes a, it takes a pretty big movement in order to get it put in, um, into, I guess not law, I guess into the, the constitution of the state, and once it's there, it pretty much takes. Uh, a majority vote to remove it in most cases. Hmm. I would think it would have to go through the House, Senate, and then yep. be signed by the governor. So, it, yep, I can see it getting squashed in all sorts of different areas and in committee before it even got to the House. Yeah, and uh, so basically, what it does, though, but it, it protects. So when uh, you have a lot of different groups that are trying to pass legislation that uh, is against hunting and fishing in certain cases, it falls back and will not allow those to go forward based on that constitutional right. So that's an important thing. So we'll give our civic duty for the moment. And if you're in one of those states where that doesn't have it, like myself, uh, reach out to your local representatives, senators, uh, fish and game commission or organization and, and say, Hey, this is something we're interested in. Um, where'd you guys go? I lost you in my tabs. There we go. <laughs> um, another article we have, and this one Ben cranked out, which I think is great. Um, it's on eating roadkill. I saw that. <laughs> so, which is interesting because 
uh, when we shared this article on social media, as you can imagine, we got a lot of very mixed reactions. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting. I mean, you got everything from like, people are like, ah, I do it all the time to, uh, you know, I'm on the list. My state has a list where you can pick it up to my state. It's completely illegal. Um, to, I would only pick it up if I saw it happen. Um, you know, there's a, it's interesting thing. So there's definitely each state has different laws and regulations. So if you're thinking about it, I would start there. Um, so where Ben lives in Oregon, it, it's legal to keep roadkill with a permit, um, but only since January 2019 and only deer and elk. Interesting. Um, yeah. So you must take the entire animal. So you can't skin and butcher it on the side of the road and the antlers and the head must be returned to uh, fish and wildlife. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And then animals whose antlers have been removed by the impact or by a human are not eligible to be taken. So that, I think that's interesting. Maybe a way to prevent people from taking the antlers and then being, and then trying to hide them and take the animal. Right. I guess I can see that going a number of ways. Yeah. I can see it going Man, like legit. I just want this deer and yeah. I knock his head off when I, when I hit him. Apparently there are Facebook groups out there. Uh, Facebook roadkill salvage groups that post locations and how fresh the kills are. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just read that, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I'm sure that information is right. hundred percent, 60% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, fresh armadillo around the corner. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, given it was legal. And if I saw it happen or, or somebody notified me, uh, quickly after, I, I don't know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't act on it, but right. Especially if it's something, you know, like a, cause it does happen all the time. The deer or whatever step right out in front of a car and they get, they get popped in the head and it's kind of over and done with instantly. And mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't get ran over. It usually knocks it to the side of the road minus some, some, uh, road rash. Uh, the meat yeah. is normally just fine. Yeah. So, or you're going to lose the shoulder or hind quarter yeah. at, at most. You like the trauma that sets in. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, free deer as long as it's legal. Yep. So, check your local regulations. <laughs> check your local Facebook groups. Might <laughs> <laughs> be going right around the corner from you. You never know. Uh, my. My father-in-law called me once uh, and he was living in North Carolina at the time. And he was like on his way to work. Um, and he was working like the, the overnight shift, uh, working at a factory or something. And he's like, Justin, I just hit this deer. What do I do? And I was like, well, um, I was like, call the highway patrol start with. And then I would, um, you know, then think about like, do you have a, do you have a knife on you? You have like plastic bags. And he's like, no, 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 Justin. Like, I don't want to take this. I don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> I was like, well, all right. Um, I was like, well, a lot of them, if, if you ask to like donate it somewhere, you can probably coordinate that. So I think that's what he ended up doing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about some cooking failures. Aside from us trying to wrap mini dove breasts and croissant dough, uh, there are some there other were three out of that whole group that were just questionable. The rest of them did fairly well. So the the only issue was is like the at some point I guess too much dough was on the bottom, and so the dove breast started rising up to the top. Um, flimsy layer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So which it still didn't affect the flavor at all. No. So, um, all right. So Corey, our podcast producer got the idea, um, for the show and queued it up for us back when, uh, we, we, he and I were working together on a spicy squirrel soup and, uh, he added accidentally added too much salt. And so then he and I spent like the next 30 minutes, of our lives trying to figure out how to fix his salty squirrel stew, which didn't end well. Um, so you did not fix it. Hmm, I am trying to think, I think we ended up diluting it and then adding some other stuff into it. And it may have just turned into a mess, but I think Corey just ate it out of spite. Once <laughs> <laughs> you go through all that work, sometimes you just gotta yeah. follow through. So, um, that then, like I said, spawned this whole episode, which we were like, huh, I wonder if other people have, uh, run ons with cooking issues as well. And I, you know, I know I've, I've made a lot of mistakes in the kitchen over time. Um, everything from like accidentally cutting my finger to like, you know, adding the wrong thing in, not measuring properly. Um, there's lots of things. I literally cut myself almost every time. So yeah, I didn't know that was a mistake. I just thought it was par for the course. <laughs> no, no, no. The the goal is to not cut yourself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My bad. Um, also I, not, not I, burning I, yourself is up there too. <laughs> no, that's usually me. Yeah. Ryan burns himself. I cut myself. Like I cut myself twice in one day. One was a cooking, not failure, I guess, but cooking and then the next time was the knife fell and I was like I went to catch it and I was like stop this is a bad idea so I moved my hand away still got cut oh yeah first rule of fight club don't grab knives that fall on the floor this is, this is it was just that day yeah it's like, yeah. Oh. okay I have a bad I have to watch myself because I have a bad habit because I'll like try to catch things from falling on the floor with like my foot Yes. And do, trying to do that with a knife is not a good idea. So it takes a little mental discipline. What is it? The the pet detective where he gets his spears in his legs? Yeah. Catch knives. He's <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> what a great moment in cinematic history. Fantastic. Um, so I guess... Man, some some ways to avoid mistakes, I guess, would be to, one, not be in a hurry, which is oftentimes hard to do. 
Um, read the recipe. This is one I tell people a lot. Read the recipe all the way through before you start cooking. <laughs> I do read the recipe like one time and then I forget stuff. No, no, no. You got to read it all the way through and make sure you remember the green onions. Uh, and the garlic. And the garlic. <laughs> and the garlic. If you guys haven't watched any of our YouTube videos on cooking, I highly suggest you do. Besides the food turning out really good, Emily always forgets an ingredient. I don't think we've made one video yet. We just posted a video. Like one of the quick recipes, I didn't forget something in that one. Okay, we have one video that she didn't forget an ingredient. I guess I just like get really like camera <laughs> shy and I forget. Yeah. So. So. Anyways, and that's all included in the video. So have fun poking fun at her. Right. Because it's, it's a good time. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest ones that uh, that I see. And then uh, teaspoons to tablespoons. Mm. The tablespoons being it's the usually the big tea. I, I always label it and I ask everybody to label it on our site. TBSP. So right. table tablespoons and then regular teaspoons, which is a smaller of the two, is TSP with a yep. lowercase t. So that's that could be a common one. That could lead to a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. Especially in like hot stuff. Like you need a teaspoon <laughs> yeah. of something hot and you put a tablespoon. You want a tablespoon of jalapeno seeds or a teaspoon. You're you're literally putting three times the amount in. Yes. This is insane. Um What's another one? I would say so everything for the most part you can kind of wing as far as flavors like you don't get too far to the right or to the left like you're not adding too much or too little you can kind of play with the flavor and see where you like it except for baking when you're baking measure follow the recipe and measure because you end up being like science right making the science cooking is winging it yeah craftsmanship Um, I think maybe a lot of pitfalls, and, I, and I've done this, and we talked a little bit about this when you were up here and we were filming, um, is not paying attention to the sodium or salt levels in multiple different ingredients when you're combining them. So let's say a mm-hmm. recipe calls for, you know, whatever, tablespoon of salt, sure, but also calls for a tablespoon of sweet rub or a tablespoon of this and this and this. And if you're not real careful about looking at those other ingredients, salt levels, you might be just literally quadrupling your salt um may or may not have done this a couple nights ago with some mac and cheese i'm pretty sure i almost died um <laughs> once again ate it out of spite but i did not um, it, I, it, I, I gave it the college try and i just couldn't it called for some salt it also called for a couple different rubs and i bought a new rub just because it, it had a really cool packaging on it <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'd never seen it, and I have a weakness for for spices. Yep. Yep. And um, hot sauce. And hot sauce. And hot sauce. Yes. And I bought it, and I mixed it, and it smelled fantastic. And it. And was, then you added cheese that's on top of it. There were also sauces. Oh yeah, and so instead of crumbs, <laughs> I did extra toasted cheese. It's which in my, had my mind, it was a fantastic idea. Um, I I amend you for your creativity. And I will say that I didn't Stop. know. No, but don't. <laughs> Cheez Its uh, take on a tremendous amount of smoke flavor. Really? Yes. Incredible. Like almost too much. It's probably because they're so oily. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. they soaked it up. Um, so I'll be using those again on a recipe, just not as much or as long in the smoke. But 
it was very salty because I combined too many ingredients that had a elevated salt or sodium level in them, and basically plus the cheeses are so salty. I tried it, and I was like, oh, oh, honey, this has so much salt in it. I was like, I can't. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, I mean, it was it had good flavor after you got past the salt. <laughs> But then I also messed up last night and I made a, a sous vide axis top round that I left in too long, but I didn't know that it was too long. Yep. And had a really great flavor, but pulled it out very tender, but too tender, too tender. Yes. It just kind of had a very weird texture and kind of dissolved in your mouth. We made mashed axis. <laughs> it, it was not that bad. It's not that bad. 10 hours is too long. Um, no, I, I didn't know meat could be too tender and it was, it, the flavor was fantastic. It was medium rare. Um, but I found, and we have heard on the, our new sous vide journey that you can overcook steak and it changes not the, it's not the, um, temperature, not the doneness, but it's, it's the, the texture. it's the consistency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, I took a bite and the flavor was fantastic. Enjoyed it for about three seconds. And then it just coated the inside of my mouth with mashed axis. And that's yeah, funny because we talked about this while I was up there. Like mm-hmm. I remember talking about like overcooking steaks, and you're like, "Yeah, it's a thing." Well, yep. now, now, wow. confirmed. It is confirmed. Can confirm. Yes. <laughs> and I looked up several different recipes for top round, and they were all between like three hours to thirty six hours. And I was hmm. like, "So yeah, 10, ten hours? Hour, ten hours should be fine. Ten hours was not fine." <laughs> Now, was was that for the for the like domestic meat? Yes, because there's very few recipes that I have found that uses game meat. So it was just kind of a, a guess. I'm assuming like we talked about, just didn't have the fat to render in it, and it was just mm-hmm. literally you know breaking down the the protein itself. So that's uh, interesting. So no you just looked outside and it was fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that would be uh, that would be an interesting. Um, experiment. I get a lot of these food experiments in my mind of like the you take the primary cuts of meat, you know, off of venison or whatever. You'd off this would be a perfect time to have a roadkill venison, so it's not one you actually spent the time to hunt. Um, a roadkill deer, <laughs> roadkill venison, whatever, same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you could actually take it and go through some of the major cuts and say, all right, what is the breaking point? Yep. And uh, because, like you said, there's not really a foundation out there um, to say what is too much. Ten hours. That's the breaking point. That's <laughs> Ten hours. Actually, <laughs> breaking point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we want to do like a, a three hour, a five hour and an eight hour or something like that. Yeah. And cut a meat. Nope. Mm-mm. Not on axis. Okay, we're, yeah. not no, no, we're not ruining No, not on axis. We'll, no. do, we'll do white tail. We'll do deer. We'll do white tail. I'm I'm not gonna ruin another axis cut of meat. <laughs> My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, something else. Um, we'll talk about overcooking. That's definitely it. But uh, I think outside of the sous vide, though, overcooking is a huge problem with wild game. Just because you have like that fine line of like it's cooked perfect to there's not enough fat in here to cushion the overcooking. That's right. So it just gets zapped. Nine seconds later, it's overcooked. And I also think that there's a lot of people out there that are concerned about wild game, 
like parasites and diseases. And so they just want to nuke it because they're concerned that they're going to catch something from this wild game. I have a, probably my only one is, well, if you listen to the top 10, top 10 segments of 2020, we have a little conversation about bear and uh, Mm -hmm. actually bear and sous vide. And, um, there's some different trains of thought, but me, I always think about like wild pigs and I think that's kind of a, an underlier, but I did a study on when I wrote an article about microwaving wild game and actually wild pigs, uh, turned up to be the most, uh, the most offender, I guess the highest, highest offender of all the, the meats that, that people contracted parasites from when microwaving, not saying microwave your meat. That's what the article says. Do not do. But um, right. it's just it's just interesting because I always, in the back of my mind now, I think about wild pig because normally you don't. I wonder if it's because wild pig is more available to more people. And so that's why is the higher offender is because it's more readily available than, say, bear. Yeah, my... I think so. Um, yeah, because then you get there was a lot of cases out of Hawaii and stuff like that. A lot of it with sausage and stuff too, because it's people have a problem discerning internal temps. That's another thing. Here's how to avoid a cooking mistake of overcooking or undercooking meat: use a meat thermometer. Have right. two. Have two. Don't always trust the one on your smoker or grill. Uh, yeah. have a backup one that's a battery power. And I even have an analog one from when I w- worked in the kitchens before, uh, battery power ones are super popular and I kind of, I'll test them to make sure they're all kind of on the same level. Um, but that's a good backup, but yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I haven't ran into that, but it was in my thought. I had pork tonight, wild pork. And I was like, ah, I should probably cook this through just in case. That was our big, you mentioned sausage when we went, took our, our bears up in Canada last time when we got back, we didn't just because it was a time frame deal. Um, we dropped them off at a processor and had a lot of sausage and stuff made. And that was my biggest fear. I was very critical with him, did a lot of research and like, Hey, what temperature are you cooking this at? You know, how are you preparing the sausage? And he was like, Hey man, don't worry. I've got it. You know, we're going to do it to 160 in several different stages and then bring it back down, put, you know, put it back up. So they had it locked down, but um, yeah, bear, especially because from what I understand, uh, wild pig and trichinosis and, you know, some bear and some stuff like that. Once you freeze pork, it's, it's diminished to the point where it's not, you're not going to catch it with bear. From what I, just from my research and what I've been told, it doesn't matter if you freeze it. You still have to once again cook it above that 160 mark to, to get rid of it. Um, you can still get it if it's frozen and then reheated to like 130. You want to cook a bear steak medium rare or something. Um, and that that was from the guides and stuff up in Canada. They're like, yeah, we just we won't do it. Now, pigs, no problem. You know, once once we freeze it, we'll cook it. Cook it through, but you don't need to – it doesn't need to be cooked, overcooked to get it and – bear i think just from whatever it has to kind of get real close to that 160 and if you're not going to cook it to 160 you need to send samples off to get tested to see if your bear has trichinosis or not i think i i think i plan to do that uh regardless like i i just want to know yeah there's testing facilities that you can send slices of your meat off to to get it tested for trichinosis so and if it doesn't then you don't have to worry about you know searing your bear to death 
<laughs> to eat it so you don't catch it. Bear shishimis. Yeah, we're yeah. actually we're actually doing we're gonna do a um a cook off a sous vide cook off with bear and and hog and a couple other things and we've got some people that don't eat a lot of wild game but aren't afraid of it they just don't have access to it and stuff and we're gonna bring them over as testers and see what see if they can pick out what is what like a bunch of eye around yep a little yeah, we could, like, eye around of everything a little venison diplomacy yeah nice I like it that should be on a shirt that is huh idea. <laughs> <laughs> um so definitely we just talked about overcooking even undercooking too uh, i guess we talked about both um which i think i would rather undercook than overcook because you mm-hmm. can still come back from it that's that's what i was gonna say like there's no return and somebody today i was i, I posted some pictures from our our duck hunt uh of us cutting up the duck like in our taste test on the podcast we did and somebody like there's always somebody that makes a comment like oh overcooked duck is bad yeah and so i was like well i smoked the whole thing whole uh so it has to be cooked all the way like it you, you know like a half raw duck like if you're searing the duck breast or something that's different but if you're gonna cook the whole thing you're gonna cook the whole thing so, um, well, he, he was like, oh, I'm just joking with you, but like, how do you monitor that? And I was like, well, I, I essentially like, once it gets to a, the meat gets to a certain temperature, I kind of like hover over it. And then you have to understand that, um, when you pull the meat off, the temperature is going to continue to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it generally about five to 10 degrees so if you want to cook something to 165, you're looking to pull it off between 155 and 160. Because we usually try to do the five degree mark. Yeah, yeah. that's Ooh. a safe. That's a safe practice. Pull it, tin it, let it sit, mm-hmm. yeah. let it do its thing, and let it sit for like 10 to 15 minutes. Oh you yeah. Should, you should never, ever, ever slice a piece of meat under 10 minutes. Like you just you're you're missing out. Unless you're really hungry. <laughs> all right chef justin why do you do that uh because it, it 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 pulls back in the meat composition changes uh it allows it to uh kind of like relax from the cooking i guess somebody's probably gonna call me out on this <laughs> you're welcome for me calling you out on that <laughs> thanks i know i know i know the meat absorbs a lot of this juices versus you cut it right when it comes off the juices are still flowing they're still trying to find a way out of the meat from the cooking process and if it's still rising in that temperature they'll they'll exfil the area um and pour out and i know once yep. it start once it stops that cooking process they start to withdraw back into the meat yeah and they kind of like level out so yep. you get like you think about when you're cooking and you have the meat uh you see all the juice start to cook off the top and like accumulate in the pan um, cause it's pushing out to the outside edges is, is it's heating up throughout. So whenever you let it rest, everything kind of like balances back out. So then you get juiciness all over. Exactly. Juiciness all over. <laughs> I figured you, I figured one of you was going to catch that <laughs> after it came, after I said it, I was like, Oh man. No. Shaking my head. <laughs> um, so, um, like I mentioned earlier, wild game is super susceptible to being dry. So that's usually overcooking um, or improper cooking, I guess would be a good term. Another way you could you could help prevent that. So wild game is naturally leaner than domestic meat. Um, so what you would want to do, brines are a great way. People will tell you marinades work well too. Um, injections, 
there's tons of stuff. Um, basically, you you want to find ways to introduce moisture back into the meat. Probably the best way to do that uh, would be like a brine, like a long-term brine. That'll help tenderize it too. Um, I experimented the other night with, um, and it wasn't wild game, but I just wanted to just experiment because I always wanted to, with uh, chi- just chicken breast, which also are easy to overcook and dry out pretty quick. Um, but I had an extra can. I bought the wrong type of coconut milk. I bought light coconut milk for the tiki masala that we made with the turkey, and I didn't use it. I used some just some regular coconut milk, but I took a pan and I just poured the light coconut milk in the bottom and literally just rested the, the chicken breast in there, tended it, put it on the smoker. Um, and that produced an amazing, not, not the flavor. There wasn't an overwhelming coconut flavor. In fact, there was no coconut flavor. Um, but it was so tender and so moist that it, I mean, it, it was incredible. So I think we're definitely going to do that with some wild game next, just as an experiment to see if that's a, a viable way of long, you know, putting it on a smoker long-term without drying it out. I don't know uh, if it was yeah. steaming it in there. It was fantastic though. I think you could definitely do that. I mean, you're looking at, um, very similar to like braising it. You're essentially braising it like mm-hmm. coconut milk, which is pretty good. We, we do. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, was on the, it was on the smoker, so it was smoky and it was tender and I mean, it was great. That sounds good. Uh, it, in my last restaurant I was working at here in Key West, uh, Mellow Cafe, we we do our sh- they do the shrimp. You keep the shrimp in coconut milk, so uh, it actually like marinades in huh. there, and then you pull it out and you just kind of throw some shrimp and then the coconut remnants in there, and then you put some sweet chili sauce in there, and they all kind of like mix this together. But the I think the coconut definitely adds some added value to the the flavor of the meat. So and when when Corey asked me about this various topics and asked me to chime in, uh, one that stood out to the top of me, top of my list, uh, two actually, I'll share two with you because I shouted down another one. Sharp knives, keeping your knives sharp. This goes back to our cutting yourself thing. Most people get cut from dull mm. knives, not sharp knives. So, oh well, uh, mine are definitely sharp. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, end up exuding. <laughs> exuding um, more force on the knife to get it through whatever you're cutting. And then you end up, it slips or whatever. And then you end up with cuts versus keep a knife sharp. Check out a lot of hardware stores. If you don't have a knife sharpener, there's a lot of commercial knife sharpeners out of there. There's the old school way to use the whetstone and all that other stuff. Uh, Tons of different ways to keep your knives sharp. If you don't know how to do it, like I said, check hardware store, Google knife sharpeners, a lot of places will offer a service that you can either drop off or they'll pick up and they'll sharpen your knives and boom, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's um, bef- way before I got into, this is before I got into the hunting really even. Um, once I started preparing my own game and stuff and doing a lot of cooking that's when I understood the the value of a good sharp knife. Cause like you said, it's a dull knife that I would get cut all the time. And I never could figure out why. And once I got a nice sharp knife, I was like, Oh, well, this is so much easier. I don't have to work nearly as hard. Um, and a lot of people don't understand the, the, I, I think don't understand the, the value of keeping the knife sharp during the cooking process. You know, mm-hmm. you cut, you cut some of meat 
and you sharpen your knife before, that doesn't mean that that blade hasn't curled a little bit. The edge hasn't curled and you have to hone it up during the process. And, and it's not hard to do at, at all. I was always intimidated by it. Um, and once I understood it, I mean, I'll, we'll prepare, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, separate, uh, the primal cuts on a, on a hind leg or a hind quarter or something. And then I'll hone the knife back up and sharpen it for the next one. It takes, you know, 10 seconds to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've remained sharp during the process, not just before or after. Yep. And I, I have, I have different knives that I like to use for different things too. Not just inside the kitchen or outside the kitchen, but when I butcher too, um, you know, I don't like, I don't use a chef knife when I butcher, but I use a chef knife pretty much for everything else except for like cleaning fish or cutting bread. Um, but when I'm, I'm butchering an animal, I may go through like three different knives. Yep. So we've almost one out of laziness and two out of, um, convenience, convenience. Yeah. have switched almost to like the, you know, the replaceable razor blade knives for skinning and butchering and all that, just because, you know, cost wise, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's hardly anything. Um, and the knives are literally scalpels, you know, razor sharp. And as long as you're not, as long as you're not hitting hair with them and hitting bone, they last a long, 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 long. I mean, you can do a whole animal with one. I I don't, I switch my knife blades after I'm getting done getting or something, um, before I start getting into the, to the meat, but it's, it's just so easy to do. And it eliminates the whole, I'm carrying around a sharpener or stone or a, yep. a steel or something to, to hone something up. So, um, I, uh, laziness. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I've been using the, one of the replaceable ones for probably about five or six years now. Uh, Allen company makes a good one. Um, mm-hmm. they have one, there's other couple brands, but I think I, I really have settled in well with theirs. Yeah, they're very, the I other thing that, strap on the smoker and the alarm went off just in the middle of that conversation. My bad. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, the only thing I really think about though, with those, those like razor blade knives is like slipping and cutting myself and then like being way out from somewhere and it like being a bad cut or something and like not. Yes, absolutely. Especially if you are with more than one person and someone is helping you, Yeah, you know, in an animal or hey hold this leg or something it can get you can get cut very quickly or if you're inside the body cavity and you're not looking at you can't physically see the blade and you know how those things are they're so sharp that yeah i got touching yourself and i got myself a couple times last year just like i just touched the blade to my finger and i was like ooh, and then it bled for like two hours yeah we were cleaning a trying to get around the neck will help that that's right um, no, <laughs> stops all bleeding. It's proven. I bet you'll be fine afterwards. Um, not listening we, to them. <laughs> no, please um, don't try to get around your neck. Disregard. Disregard. Um, we were teaching a, a guy. We were teaching one of my one of my best friend's sons how to how to. Um, skin and quarter up an animal, how to, how to field dress an animal and what the different, you know, anatomical parts of, you know, a deer were, it was actually an axis and we had had it hanging in the cooler for like three days. So the whole, I mean, obviously it's, it was very, very cold. And I realized once we had pulled it out of the cooler that, uh, he didn't get out, he hadn't cut far enough up and the heart was still down inside there. And so I reached down and it was super, super cold outside. So my hands were just freezing and now I'm in a freezing animal 
and I'm trying to reach around and down inside the cavity to find the heart to cut it. And I totally just nailed the top of my hand, top of my knuckle. Um, and it was so cold. I really didn't realize it. And I'm looking up I'm like, Oh, that's the, Oh, that's my finger. That's not the heart. You know, uh, uh, your finger's still attached. Finger's still F- attached. F- FYI. <laughs> but it was a, it was a good cut. It was, and it was, you know, like you said, the downside of those knives is they will cut you right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's no lead up to it. I think just go, go super slow. And, uh, what's the old adage? Yep. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. So, um, if you have to force it, it's probably not the right. <laughs> that's, that's one that I always go by. If I'm having to force the cut, it's probably, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing something right. Correct. So one last one, um, is oil not hot enough for frying? That's another one that really gets me. Um, and we talked about this with Hank Shaw a bit too. He mentioned that as, as like one of his tips. And, um, I think it's always kind of stood in the back of my mind is like, sometimes people don't temp their oil, um, when you're mm-hmm. frying. So you want to fry it like 350. That's like the op- optimal, uh, level of crispiness and heat and all that other great stuff. So then if you cook under that, you end up with like super soggy, uh, fried bits. If you cook over that, you end up things that are really crispy on the outside and maybe not all the way done on the inside. So. Which when I started actually doing, I, I fried backstrap a lot in college and didn't realize it until quite a bit later is like, you're talking about undercooking or the, the oil being underheated. I, once you go through it, my oil would be so hot that it would start burning the outside. And like you just said, not cooking the inside. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have really great backstrap at the beginning and the backstrap at the end was like, definitely not okay. Because I never Ooh. regulated the temperature. You know, it's college. You just do what you do. I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> so it brings up a good point how do you temp check your oil if you're say not um frying a turkey and you have this giant pot that you can just stick this giant thermometer in and and test it what are some good chefly ways uh kitchen kitchen side stovetop to to temp check your oil if you're just using like a little bit even so that that same meat thermometer uh that you're using to check the temperature of your meat um, verify first that it can go up that high. And if it can go up that high, you can then use that on your oil. That's what I do. I have a, a I use my battery powered one that I keep in my kitchen and I just dip it in the oil when it hits 350, boom. But I also have done it enough that I know. Uh, so I have an electric stove, uh, just Key West weird stuff with gas lines and things like that. Um, so I have an electric stove and I generally know what setting on my electric stove um, will heat oil to that level. So mm-hmm. I just kind of put it there and then hit it. But it's also real inconsistent. So another thing you can do is, of course, having uh, induction burners are a big thing now. Have you guys seen those like the magnetic ones? Yeah. That the heating element. So that some of those you can actually set the temperature. Yeah, there's like- that's a good one. Um, they, I mean, they make the little fryers that you can get. I think Weston sells one. There's a couple other companies that sell them too that, you know, that you can do that as well. So, and what about the old adage of, you have you, have you seen the wooden 
the wooden spoon or the wooden utensil down in the oil, if it bubbles, it's it's about the right temperature. Oh, no. throw flour in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's how I was taught. That's where I was that's where I was going. I was I was hoping that was one of your chefly ways. Um, well, no, no. Yeah, so I was I was <laughs> taught. If, so if you take it like a wooden utensil, and let's say you just don't have an you don't need you're not heating up a ton of oil, just like a little you know, quarter cup of oil in the bottom of a pan or something. You can take a wooden utensil and stick it down there. And if it kind of starts to bubble um, or fry the wood just a little bit, you can see it. Then you're, you're just about there. Hmm. Interesting. So I use that for you. A thousand? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I still use it. I haven't heard that. That's interesting. Now don't go burn your house down because I told you to go stick a wooden spoon <laughs> in some hot water. It's just like this hot pan and this wooden spoon, and it's just caught on fire. Or you can just take a flour or something like that and throw it in the oil when it's in to see if it if it bubbles. I have done that too. Yeah, yeah, I've done that one for sure. Um, a little sprinkle. Do you season your oil before you cook with it? Do I like, season like, like with onions or something? Like fry some onions and kind of season the oil. Um. I know a lot of people do that. So I generally start. So if I'm like deep frying something, no. But if I am like just sauteing something in the pan and I'm using oil, generally like my garlic or my onion or a lot of my aromatics are going to go in towards the first part of it. Just because like season. Yeah. yeah. I even like doing black pepper in there. So like you take a fresh ground black pepper and you, you put it in there and you, it, it absorbs some of that, that oil from the, the peppercorns. Hmm. Yeah. Gross. Gross. I hate pepper so much. Really? It's, it's spicy. So, yeah. Yeah. Pepper has a terrible flavor. What? Do you like cilantro? Yeah. I like, I like yes, I like cilantro. Okay. So it's, you're not one of the soap cilantro people. That's good. No, I, but I hate black pepper, Oof. but I like cilantro. Okay. I, I guess that's a good trade. <laughs> She'll season with black pepper. She just doesn't want because it like- that's what you get on to me because I don't put. Yes, I, I, do. I I when I make recipes, I make them to my liking, and you're like you left something out, and I usually always leave something out. <laughs> and so lately, just so I don't have to hear this conversation about leaving something out, I put everything in there, <laughs> including black pepper, which I don't like. It should be included in the Holy Trinity. But no, not, black pepper but is should. not good, though. Like, literally does nothing. I appreciate your reference to the Holy Trinity, though. For those, you see that? For, those, for those that don't know it, bell pepper, onion, and celery. Holy Trinity. Wow. Yep. I thought it was carrot. Um, he didn't say carrot. Did you say carrot? Yes. No, car- uh, that's not part of the Trinity. See? He didn't it, say it, carrot. It's... it's Carrot is kind of can be part of the Trinity. You showed me the Trinity with carrot. There is a Trinity. There's, with carrot. there's so much lies. It's probably the on. French. Maybe that's the French one and not the Cajun one. Oh, oh. see, I told you there's different areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I'm not I taking sides or anything. But. <laughs> Are you like moonwalking out of this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> um, so what are I guess you you guys mentioned earlier like some some kitchen mishaps that you've had, um, but I didn't really 
go into mine. Um, I, I, we mentioned Corey's uh, salty squirrel soup, so that's one because I was definitely involved in that. That was partially my fault, I think. Or I tried to help him and then just maybe made it worse. Um, let's see. So pate. Yeah, we talked about this while I was there. I'm super disappointed yeah. in that. It was just, I don't know. It spawned the soaking liver article and, and all the other stuff. It just like, just made me really, really uncomfortable. Um, in retrospect, I, I think I'll make it a different way, but that was just like, I, but was I did. Was it because of the antelope or was it because it was the way you made it? I don't know. It could have been the antelope. It could have been that it, maybe the liver was bad. I don't know. I don't know. That's why I still rack my brain about it of like what, what it could have been because I kind of followed a general outline of, of a recipe that I came up with based off like other pate recipes and like did some research and thought hard about what an antelope liver would taste like. And yeah, it just kind of, just kind of flopped. So, but you've made, you've made pate before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I made pate before, but yeah. just not not Maybe with antelope. Antelope, yeah. Is the problem. It, and I, I think it may have been an age thing too, because this was definitely an older doe. Um, both of the does that we shot were older doe, so um, maybe a younger, a younger antelope would have been better. Or if we'd have soaked it, like learning, knowing what I know now, like if you're not afraid of texture changes, then soaking is okay. But if you're going to eat it by itself, like soaking in different solutions will change the texture of the meat for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, the other thing too, is I, I, I don't know that I've made this mistake, but I've gotten meat from people that have soaked it in ice water. Um, we've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's done it. Um, hanging it, in a cool space to get air around it is a better way to handle the meat. Um, just following like meat science. That makes sense. Yeah. When, when we first got into, I say we, when I first got into hunting, she was hunting long before I was, but, um, probably wild, probably, you know, hog wild pig was the first thing that I really got involved with. And just, out of ignorance, I didn't know. Um, I mean, it was go to the field, shoot the hog, you know, skin it, quartered up, put it in a cooler, mm-hmm. you know, already has, you know, go buy a couple bags of ice, dump it on top, go home, grab the water hose, fill, fill it, it up. up. Yeah, and yeah. I would take probably a legit entire thing of, of table salt and just dump in the whole thing. Cause I, I'd heard, I don't know where I picked it up, but I know I'd heard it somewhere, read it or something that, well, I had done it for yeah. forever. Salt water will leach out the gate, you know, the, yeah. the bad word, the gaminess, the, the blood, the impurities and do that for a couple of days, drain it off, do it again. Heck we did that for a year or two. Send you guys a picture. I came across this picture on the internet of a side by side comparison of kept cool and dry and soaked in ice water. Don't know who did this. I'm probably going to have to recreate it because I don't want to share somebody else's picture, but I think this is true because I've seen, yeah. I've seen the difference. Oh, yeah. I, yep, oh, yeah. I've confirmed, confirmed that. Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I've gotten meat from people that uh, I've gone to butcher where they brought me like quarters and stuff uh, to process for them. And, and it's been like that soaked in ice water. And I'm like, Ooh. So, mm-hmm. 
but that's a that's an interesting thing. So you're definitely more flavor, and it's it's not necessarily uh, going to be the 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 bad gamey word that um it's not necessarily the meat's fault. There's a lot of factors that go into it. So you got to kind of treat the meat right and enjoy the flavors for what it is. But I don't recommend soaking in ice water unless you're going to brine it, and then it's yeah. just for a short time before you cook it, not the entire like animal or sections. Yeah, because you're always told you want to pull the blood out of it. And that's exactly what it does. Yeah. Is blood out of it. Yep. And that is incorrect thinking, Mm-mm. but it does exactly what you want it to do. Yeah. If you want to pull the blood out, it works fantastic. <laughs> that's, yeah. But um, knowing knowing now what we know about, you know, the the natural flavor of wild game, it's not the blood that gives it that flavor. It's the the sinew and the tendons. The and hair, the silver temperature, skin every, and, you know, all the other outside factors. Yep. And people uh, attest to, there's, um, I forget the exact scientific term. It's basically like a proteinaceous fluid. You know, when you, when you, we'll go back to microwave. You know, when you microwave meat, if you have in the past, if you haven't, it's okay. That like gray stuff that comes out of the meat that sits on the top of it or on the side of it. Like even when you defrost it. Yep. So that stuff is a proteinaceous fluid. And when you pull that out of the meat um, or when it comes out through cooking, that's what changes the composition. So when you soak it in the water, you're actually like you're messing with that. And that's what affects a lot of it too. Science. Science. <laughs> Um, I just thought of another cooking failure. It has to do with your axis. Oh, good. And, and it, it, this is a Thanks, sous vide. Honey. Now, this is <laughs> this is a this is where good butchering techniques and good meat care can backfire on you if you use a sous vide method while cooking frozen. So, when we butcher an animal and we quarter it up and stuff, like we'll leave all the silver skin on just to just to maintain that moisture, even if we're going to vacuum seal it and freeze it. Mm-hmm. We'll leave skin on leave everything on and then deal with that when we unpack it and thaw it up emily um pulled out and just because we're new to the whole sous vide thing we're trying out every every way we can we're trying to kind of work through these these hurdles trying to learn um she pulled out a frozen the top it was top run right yeah. yeah it was it was frozen so obviously we had unpacked it or we had you know vacuum sealed it left all the silver skin on but I didn't see the silver skin. Yeah, froze it. It's in the freezer. She pulls it out, dumps it right in the sous vide. Not thinking, oh, we need, because we're so used to thawing it out and then removing all the silver skin and all that stuff. So it still had all the silver skin on. But I didn't see that when it was frozen, so. Yeah. And so that was definitely, it was very, like I said, it was uh, on top of the the mashed axis consistent. It was very, very, had a lot of gaminess flavor. And then it was, there were a couple spots where you could tell you're just chewing on silver skin. Like this is just jerky right now. So note to self, if you're going to go straight from frozen into the sous vide, which you can do, make sure you're not using a piece of meat that you have not prepped. It needs to be prepped prior. You need to know you're going to sous vide that cut versus I'm going to thaw it out first. Oh, here's one. Here's a hot tip for that. So, uh, back. Oh gosh. Second season, yeah, we talked with John Wallace, and he says that whenever he butchers his uh his stuff, he'll actually take whatever select cuts or if he has ideas for stuff, and he'll write on the packaging, like, I'm going to do, you know, for sous vide or for the grill or for this. He said that way 
mistakes similar to that don't happen because when somebody's just grabbing something, if I want to save it for a special occasion, they read on the top of it that like, this is, this is a special cut. And I was like, huh? Okay. And I would have done the same thing she did. Cause we're so used to pulling out backstrap yep. or tenderloin or something and thought out, okay, now I got to clean it up, do this prep it. Wouldn't even have thought I was going to the sous vide. Oh, didn't even think having silver skin and all that stuff still on. Well, when it's frozen, you can't see you that. Can't sil- see it. See it's, that silver skin. It's frozen. And so when it was cooking, I was like looking in the sous vide, like the bath. I was like, I think, I think that's silver skin. That's not good. No, <laughs> no. This is not going to be good. Sous vide will not break down <laughs> silver skin. Just FYI. Well, it's good to know. Um, well, I think that's all I got. Well, do you guys have any uh, misfires or alibis? Anything last notes? Uh, we just started a, a quick recipe thing on our YouTube channel where we're going to be doing recipes that don't require, you know, 10 minute videos to do. They're, you know, going to be like five minutes or less, no talking. And uh, we posted our first video tonight of a venison sausage frittata. And it's going to be something that we're trying out to see what how, how people like it. You know, super Sweet. quick, throw it up there, make quick recipes. Two, three, four, five minutes. And nothing fancy, just just the recipe, just the ingredients, so people can get to cooking. Sounds good. Sounds tasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's joke number two of the night. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, thanks guys for coming on. Um. It was a yeah, good thank you for having us. We had a, we had a great time as always. Yeah, absolutely. I think we definitely covered a lot of good material of do's and don'ts and sort of kind of what to do to avoid some mistakes. So hopefully people have some good takeaways from that. But as always, show notes will be online and head over to social media, check out the way we hunt. And then when you're done checking out the way we hunt, make sure you're following harvest in nature. And then also whatever podcast platform you're listening to smash that five star button, leave us a review chance to win a hat and uh, tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. Thanks and have a good night.